love. Chapter 13, 1 Corinthians is where we're at today. And I titled my message, Pure Love. And that's what we should seek and desire with all of our hearts. Pure love. We love God, but don't forget, He first loved you. Amen. He first loved you. Love is why we're here. Because if God had not loved us, He would have destroyed mankind long ago. But because of His love, because of His grace, because of His mercy, we are here. He loves us and He wants us to love Him back. And my prayer is that we will search our hearts and we will pray for the gift of love. The gift of love. A love that is pure and true and faithful to God. Let's begin. We're going to read the whole chapter because it's only 13 short verses. 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. You know, is that hymn, the opening of the hymn, Karen says, I don't think we know that one. As soon as Rosanna started playing the tune, you recognize the tune, you're like, oh yes, I do know that one. Yeah, same tune. So we recognize it because of the tune. We don't want to just be a clanging cymbal. We want a, a noise that people recognize. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, it is not provoked, thinks no evil. Now, I did not say it thinks some evil, did it? Love thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Let that sink in for just a moment. Friends, love will never fail you. Always go on the side of love because it will never fail. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For now we know in, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. May God add His blessings to the hearing and the reading of His holy word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise You and magnify You. We thank You. Thank You for Your amazing love for us. Father, a love that is so great that You allowed Your only Son to come to this earth and die in our place. Father, that's a love that is a mystery. Father, I thank You that we will know that mystery as it should be known one day. We thank You for that. We just thank You, Father, that You've extended Your grace to us. 
Thank You for Your Holy Spirit that guides us and leads us in all that we do. And may Your Spirit be present in this place today. Father, may we experience Your love in a most amazing way. Father, but may we take that love and share it, Father, for Your glory, for Your kingdom. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Chapter 13 is just a continuation of chapter 12. If you remember, last week we talked about all of the gifts. Paul addressed the spiritual gifts within the church. And of course, he's addressing the spiritual gifts because there's dissension in the church. Again, because those thought that their gift was greater than the other. You know, well, I, I speak in tongues. I'm, I'm better than you because you're just administration. That's all. You know, so he's addressing this because of the quarrels in the church. But he's saying, not one gift is above the other. So with all of that, he says, but now and yet. He ends chapter 12 with this. And yet, speaking of all those gifts, no matter how important you think it is, and yet, I will show you a more excellent way. A more excellent way. As a matter of fact, we'll just look at the end of chapter 12. You get those last couple verses in there. Verse 27, he says, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. After that, miracles. Then gifts of healing, helps, administration, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts. Yet, yet I show you a more excellent way. We move on to love, don't we? You know, I will say this, and Paul was, this was, I'm sure, what Paul was saying to them. If someone does operate in one of the spiritual gifts, I mean, God blesses those with healing, God blesses those, I mean, with great teaching, blesses those with words of prophecy. But if anyone is operating in the gift, of, one of the giftings of the Holy Spirit, and if they are disputing with someone else that has a gift, they are not operating in love. Period. If you have a gift and you in your heart think, well, my gift's better than them, you are not operating in love. You are not operating in the most important one. And that's love. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 has held a special place in the church for many ages. It is a beautiful passage. It's about what it's all about. Love. It's loving God's love for us and our love for Him. It defines the capacity in which the church is supposed to operate. Everything we do should be driven by love. Whatever we do, friends, ought to be driven by love. Everything that the church does should be driven by that, by love. Everything we do individually as a believer in Jesus Christ ought to be driven by love. Not selfish motives, but by love. Verse 2 said that one could have the gift of prophecy Prophecy can be a word of encouragement to, to be obedient to God. 
It can be a word to proclaim a warning about something that may take, take place in the future. It can be an inspiring message. But all of that, think about that. A great preacher could preach wonderful words of prophecy, but yet if he is not doing it in love, it's nothing. It means nothing. But you know, God can use it, but it may be nothing for Him. It may bless others, but it's going to be nothing for Him. It's not going to get Him any reward if He's doing it with the wrong motive. If He's doing it to make Himself look good, to look holy. It has to be accompanied with love or it's empty. You know, one could understand the great mysteries of God, Paul says. Have all knowledge. Understand the deep things of God. Man, I could have chapters after chapter and verse after verse memorized and understand all that. I could have faith that could grab that mountain and throw it in the sea. But if it's not accompanied with love, it's empty. It's nothing. It's no good. You know, there was and there are some Christians that are blessed with spiritual gifts. But they use those gifts for the wrong motives. They speak to glorify themselves. And Jesus spoke of this in Matthew 7, 21-23. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of My Father in heaven. Many will say to Me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Your name? Man, we preached in Your name, Lord. We cast out demons in Your name and done many wonders in Your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from Me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of Mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. So friends, we can, do, we can, it's possible to do wonderful things for God. But if we're not doing it out of love, it means nothing. It may not bring us any reward at all. That's how important love is. The kind of love that Paul speaks of here is not a romantic love. He speaks of agape love. It is the purest and greatest form of love that we could possibly know. Agape love is defined as the active love of God for His Son and His people. His people, friends, who's that? Raise your hands. It's us, right? But it also describes the active love His people are to have towards Him, towards God, and towards others. Agape love describes the active love that we are to have towards others. John, 1 John 4, 16b, the last part of 16, says God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Amen. Abide means to remain. So we must remain in love, walk in it all the time, not part-time. If we're not walking in love all the time, what are we, a part-time Christian? Right. Ah, we're supposed to be full-time Christians, right? 24-7. We don't get any holidays when it comes to walking in love. The most important word in the definition, I believe, is active. The most important word in the definition of agape love is active. 
Last year I read that book by Bob, Bob Goff titled Love Does. Love Does. It's not just talk. It's not talk about what I'm going to do. It's doing it. It's not hoping something will happen. It's making something happen because of love. It's an active thing. In her book, Living with Love, Josephine Roberts tells a story of active, courageous love. In 1883, a youthful clergyman, the Reverend Joe Roberts, arrived by stagecoach. That's one of those things pulled by horses, children. I mean, it's, you know, it's not a car. Don't have rubber tires. Stagecoach. All right, so he arrived in a blizzard to minister to the Indians in Wyoming. This great wild area had been assigned to the Protestant Episcopal Church by President Grant. Soon after Joe Roberts arrived, the son of the chief was shot by a soldier in a brawl. And Chief Washaki vowed to kill the first white man that he met. Since this meant that that would be the start of a long bloody feud, young Roberts decided to take action. Seeking out the teepee 15 miles away in the mountains, he stood outside the tent and called to the chief. And when Wasaki appeared, Roberts opened his shirt. He says, I have heard of your vow, he said. I know that the other white men have families, but I am alone. Kill me instead. The chief was amazed and motioned him to come into his tent. How do you have so much courage, the chief asked. Joe Roberts told him about Christ, his death, his teachings. They talked for hours. And when Joe left, the chief of the Sochines had renounced his vow to kill and resolved to become a Christian. Washaki had seen love in action. Every group which calls itself Christian would do well to decide what it should do to make love visible in our home, in our church, in our community, and the world. For unless love becomes visible, visible, it is not love at all. If it is not visible, I love that, then it's not love. It has to be visible. We can't just keep it within. It has to be visible. Romans 12, 9a says, Let love be without hypocrisy. So what do I mean? Well, if I stood up here before you today and preached that you are not to be drunkards, you're not to drink, and I go out myself and drink and get drunk, well, that's a hypocrite. If I tell you, you need to get on the stick and you've got to start feeding the poor and take care of the widows, but I'm not willing to go do it myself, makes me a hypocrite, doesn't it? Love does what it says others should do, we should do too. It does not do what we say we should not do. 1 John 3 18 and 19 says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. So what's that mean? In action, right? And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. 1 Peter 1.22 says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, we have to have sincere love. Love for our brethren, for our brothers and sisters. 
Paul says that love suffers long. Love suffers long and it is kind. The word used here means to suffer long means to be slow to anger. Are we slow to anger? Slow to anger means to have patient endurance. Long-suffering and kindness goes hand in hand, doesn't it? If we're going to be slow to anger and kind, they go hand in hand. We put love into action. Friends, if we are walking in love, if we say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and I'm filled with His love and I'm walking in love, if we fly off the handle and get all angry and mad and start cussing and ranting and raving and carrying on, are we walking in love? No. We are not. So that means we might have to once in a while bite these. Right? We might have to bite that tongue and be kind. We cannot have a harsh attitude towards others if we claim that we are filled with the love of Christ and walking in love. We ought to respond with, respond with patience. We ought to respond with a gentle word, courteously towards others. And not just to those who are kind to us, but towards everyone. Amen. Friends, this is what we're called to do. Those who deserve the love the least need it the most. Right? right? Yeah. They need it the most. They need to see it in us. They need to see it the most. Matthew 5, 43 and 44 says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus says, But I say to you, love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That's a hard one. Is it not? It is. Paul says that love will not envy. You know, envy is more than just desiring what someone has or desiring to be like them. It also means that we could desire ill will for that person. Well, if I don't have it, Lord, take it away from them too. We should never desire ill will for anyone. We should desire the best for others. Good health, blessings on others, no matter who they are. Sin does not envy. F.B. Meyer was pastor of Christ Church in London at the same time that G. Campbell Morgan was pastor of Westminster Chapel and at John's relative, John or Charles Spurgeon, was pastor of the Metropolitan Chapel. Both Morgan and Spurgeon often had much larger audiences than did Meyer. Troubled by envy, Meyer confessed that not until he began praying for his colleagues that he have peace at heart. Amen. He says, when I prayed for their success, the result was that God filled their churches so full that the overflow came to mind. And it has been full ever since. Friends, if we want to fill this church, start praying for our neighbors. Start praying for our neighboring churches. Maybe they'll be praying the same prayer for us. Pray for all the brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for all the Christian churches. That God will bless them. 
will pour out blessing upon them. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Jesus gave us a good example of this in Matthew 23, 5. He says, But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They like to be seen. They like to look godly. They like to look, you know, religious. We're not to be puffed up. But we're to be humble. Humble before others. Humble before God, especially. Love bears all things. Love, my friends, believes all things. Hopes all things and endures all things. Love will endure evils or wrongs committed against them. You know, if there is any attribute of love that reveals the supernatural significance of love, friends, this is it. To bear all things, to endure things, wrongs done against you. If someone punches you in the nose, what does the flesh want to do? Yeah, flesh wants to poke them right back in the nose, right? But that's the flesh. That's what we have to overcome by the presence of His Spirit, by His love in us, what will we do then? We'll turn the other cheek. That's a hard thing to do, but that's what Jesus calls us to do. Turn the other cheek. We are called to endure, to bear evils against us. Because, friends, the opposite will destroy us. Because the opposite is what? Bitterness. The opposite is bitterness and anger. And you know what the effects of that will be. Harry Emerson Fosdick wrote, Bitterness imprisons life. Love releases it. Bitterness paralyzes life, but love empowers it. Bitterness sickens life, but love will heal life. Bitterness blinds life. Love anoints the eyes. Love is the cure, my friends. Love is the cure for evil and bitterness and anger and all those things. Verse 12 said, For now I see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. In the ancient times, they didn't have these nice fine glass mirrors that we have today. I mean, we go look at... When my wife does her hair in the mirror, she's got a nice mirror and she can even pull this way and, you know, see the back of her head and all. Nice mirror. Gives her a very good image of herself. It'll look just like it. She looks to me, right? But back in those days, they didn't have nice glass mirrors like we had. They have polished metal. So the reflection that they would see back out of that polished metal was not a true image of the person. It wasn't a true reflection. So it was kind of distorted or dim. We shall know, we shall see face to face. 1 John 3, 1-3 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, that we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. We shall see Jesus face to face. Isn't that awesome? Amen. 
When I think back to the ancient times, when they had the, the, the tabernacle and the temple, they had the most holy place. Whenever the priest would go into the most holy place, they'd have bells tied around his, the bottom of his garment. So as he's in there moving around, if he had any sin that he had failed to repent for, he might drop dead when he goes into God's presence. And they would know something happened. And I was thinking there was a passage where it said they had a rope tied to him. They could drag him out of there. Because you could not go into God's presence with sin. Friends, we are going to see Jesus face to face. I think that is the most awesome thing. And we are going to be able to do that because He shed His blood. We are purified by His precious blood that we will be able to enter in face to face and see Him without dying. Because our sins have already died when we repented and believed on Jesus Christ. But I love that face to face because when you look at a person that has love in their hearts, you know it. Why? You see it. You see it in their eyes. And I'm here to tell you today, I believe when we see Jesus, we are going to see the most beautiful, loving face that we have ever seen in our lives. Because we're going to see the one that died for us. The one that is love. He is love. I can't wait. Well, I can, I can wait. I mean, as you say, we have to... We should be saying, Lord, give us more time to bring others to You. We shouldn't want to rush it. We should be rushing out there to tell others about Christ so there'll be more. But that's love. Verse 13 said, And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The now is not temporary, but it sums up this whole paragraph. These three graces are fundamental. They're very important. And we will not fully understand all these until He does return. Until He returns, we'll fully understand it. But we can understand that love is the greatest because it is the root of the other two. It is the root. How are we going to have faith without love? How are we going to have hope without love? We can't. It is the greatest. Because love, friends, is for our neighbors. If we have love, that is for our neighbors. Faith is for us, right? It's going to save our sorry selves. <laughs> our faith saves us. We have faith. We believe in God. And it, We'll share eternal life with Him. Hope. Our hope is that hope in the future. But if we have love, that is for others. To give to others. To share with others. It is the greatest gift. The greatest gift. Pure love must be completely selfish. That's where I have to end this. Pure love must be complete. I'm sorry, I said selfish, didn't I? Selfless. Selfless. Philippians. I want to turn to Philippians. We was talking about this Wednesday night in Bible study. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if there is any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any 
affection, and mercy. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Have the same love. Being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. When we walk in love, friends, we will walk in selflessness. We won't be concerned about ourselves. God will take care of that. Our care and our concern will be about others. Blessing them. Helping them. Encouraging them. Reaching out to others. That's what true love looks like. As Bob Goff says, love does. Friends, let's do. Let love work through us that we can bless others with God's love. Amen? Amen.